Amen. Well, brethren, if you would please open your copy of God's Word to 3rd John. You know, this is the first Sunday of the month. Normally this would be Psalm Sunday. I'm actually going to do that next Lord's Day. We will be getting Psalm for the month. We're looking at Psalm 9 next Lord's Day. Uh, it's important that we do so, but I, th I thought it would be better to go ahead and finish out the epistles of John today, being the first of the uh, Sunday of the month. And particularly, I think there's a very encouraging word here for us as a congregation. Um, another reason why I want to do this, because I, I think there's some very substantive application here for us, maybe in our, in our current life situation, where we find ourselves both uh, at Resurrection Church and the church in Peoria, um, in terms of our prayers that we've prayed even to stay, Lord, add to our number, uh, as well as deepen us, add to our, make us deep and then grow us wide. Uh, but the thing that John is addressing today in this very short epistle is something which I believe in God's ordination will do both, if we can have the faith to embrace it and to emulate uh, what is set before us here and to follow Jesus accordingly. If you would, please stand. Let me read together this brief epistle of 3 John. 3 John, hear the word of the Lord. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to you, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you, and greet the friends by name. Let's pray. Father, please take this short epistle, and Lord, may this truth, walking in truth, and the truth of godly, holy hospitality, may that take root and deep in our hearts, and may it flow out in our practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. Well, this third epistle, um, as you saw, I, I argued last week that I believe Second John, when he addresses the elect lady, uh, using that title rather than by, by her name. But he doesn't use a name, and that's one of the reasons why I believe the elect lady is the church as opposed to a specific individual, because I would think that, you know, John would have called her by name. But this third epistle, uh, John very explicitly states to whom it is written. 
It is to one Gaius. Um, it was intended, this epistle's goal was to encourage um, Gaius to continue in his practice of hospitality, or as John says, you do what you do. Uh, I think his name and reputation had gotten out. To continue in hospitality, to be thankful, to express thanks for what he has done, um, and also to, as it were, to vindicate Demetrius. Demetrius uh, was one of a group, we think, of missionaries that had been sent out by the church, probably at Ephesus, with letters of commendation from the church. Um, They'd been sent out to take the gospel, as he mentions here. Um, They had gone out taking nothing from the Gentiles. Remember that John, Peter, and James were specifically commissioned as uh, the apostles to the Jews and to the Jewish dispersion. Uh, From Galatians 2, we see that. So here's John saying that we sent out missionaries to take the gospel from the church to uh, the Jews, to the people of God, to take the testimony of the kingdom of Jesus and of God and their midst and of Christ to them. And uh, and it's an exhortation to vindicate Demetrius. Well, why did he need to vindicate Demetrius as one that was legit? And the, the answer to that, as we see, is that um, these uh, one Diotrephes, who he mentions here, he was an elder, we think, probably in one of the local house churches, the local congregations. Um, and as these missionaries had gone out, and specifically in this case, Diotrep- uh, Demetrius, Diotrephes uh, had basically been refusing them. They would come with these letters, and Diotrephes would say, Who is John? Who are these elders? You know what? It was very much a party spirit. Um, it was setting our little house church, our little congregation over against the rest of the church, saying, uh, you know what, we're better than that. We don't need to receive them. And not only that, as we see, Diotrephes was actually forbidding his congregation to receive the brethren as well. So it was bad enough on his part, but he was using and abusing his authority as an elder, uh, and he was working contrary to the kingdom of God and of Christ. Uh, I'm sure it looked very pious. Uh, it was certainly, you know, I'm sure he was saying, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must reject all these unholy people. But the reality is, as we're going to see, John says, in, in fact, he's got it all wrong, and it's him who is unholy. Um, so the, the goal is to, d- to vindicate the Demetrius and to call out Gaius, to exhort Gaius to continue on in this hospitality that he had done, because this was a vitally important the missionaries going forth in the first century, you recall, it's not like they, had, uh, they didn't have uh, Marriott's. There, there were no uh, Motel 6s, really, even. If you were going on a journey, you were vitally dependent on other people to lodge you. Right? That, that's, how, that's how you did it when you went on a journey. And so the success of the gospel mission of the missionary endeavor was vitally important on this practice of lodging and providing for the people of God openly and liberally. And so John is concerned here that Diotrephes is actually making himself and the congregation under him by his abusive power and by his unrighteousness that he's actually going to be hindering the cause and the spread of the gospel. That the little house church there was going to turn into like a cancerous mutant sort of thing that was going to begin to devour others and and spread in the church. And so John is urgently wanting to put a stop to this and to uh, encourage Gaius and others like him to continue in this way. This is vitally important 
Uh, as John even says here, we'll look at this, that uh, there was going to need to be a discipline brought against Iatrophes because he himself was being insubordinate. He was being defiant and abusive, as I said. So, brethren, that, that's kind of the context in which we find ourselves. And I just want to really just focus today using the three key names we, we see in this, Gaius, Diatrophes, and Demetrius, using them kind of as headings. So let's just take a look first of all. I'm going to have us to look first of all at uh, what I'm going to call holy hospitality. Let's look at Gaius. Uh, let's just see what we see here about Gaius in, in verse 1 through 8. First thing we want to say is, when we talk about Gaius, is I would say to look at Gaius' example of biblical hospitality. What do we know about Gaius? Well, Gaius, a um, couple things we know, we think we know, is that he probably was an older man. Um, he may have well been in poor health and maybe not a person who was uh, particularly uh, well-equipped with a lot of earthly material goods, money, and so on. Well, how do we know that? Well, one, you see that John prays for his health here. That, that he would have bodily health and, and that he would prosper in body um, as well as in all things. I would take that all things to mean that in material goods as well, just as his soul prospers. So it, it stands to reason um, he probably was not, not a wealthy man at all, maybe just kind of an older man getting by, um, but he had a rich and generous spirit. Secondly, um, John, you'll notice here, he has to actually tell Gaius about some of the stuff that Diotrephes is doing. Um, and, and that would suggest that Gaius maybe hadn't actually attended uh, church in a while. Maybe he lived a little further away. Maybe he was uh, like a commuter and in his old age and in his difficulty. He wasn't able to commute like he had been. And so he felt kind of isolated. He hadn't got word of what was going on in the church um, and their meetings. Um, and apparently the church had not been reaching out much to him either. Um, didn't seem to hamper his spirit much, though. Uh, he, so he needed to be informed about what was going on. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, the fact is, we, as we saw, that when we see in this epistle that Diotrephes had actually excommunicated, look at verse 9 and 10, he had excommunicated several people uh, for engaging in hospitality, for receiving brethren whom John and uh, the elders uh, of the church up in Ephesus and Asia Minor had sent. And apparently, Gaius hadn't got word of that either. And so again, you put all this together, and it kind of suggests a man who's probably not, you know, he, he, he's, he needs bodily health. He needs more uh, material stuff that would help him in his ministry of hospitality. Um, he hasn't been uh, up to up keeping up with stuff, and people hadn't been reaching out to him. So he probably hadn't been in close fellowship with the church for a while. So that's, that's where we find Gaius. But you'll notice, and I really want to key in here on verse 2, um, as we look at Gaius' example, he may not have been particularly uh, prosperous at this point in material goods. He may not have had a, a much of a house to live in. Um, he was not in particularly good bodily health, but he did have something very important. Notice what John says here. He says that his soul prospers. I love that. I hope you love that. Gaius was a happy, delighted saint, old saint in the Lord. He just had a prospering, overflowing soul. He was maybe poor in spirit, but he was rich in grace. He was rich in the gospel. He understood what Paul had said to the Corinthians, that, that, that in Jesus, you all things are yours in him. The world, things past, things present, the world, things to come, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. He understood that he had 
not only treasures in heaven that he was laying up, but that the Lord, as, we, as, Paul, says to the, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, says in 9, that God was able to make all grace abound towards you so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, might be thoroughly equipped for the work to do all ministry in Jesus' name. Gaius was the sort, he was fully, he was like that man in Luke, in Luke chapter 11 that says, I've got a man who's come to my house by night and I don't have any bread to set before him. So Gaius was probably the one going to the Lord, maybe getting on his knees, Lord, I need bread. Uh, or other saints maybe who are living there, I need bread. But he was just ready and eager to give people coming to his house, whether it was just bread or hot dogs or whatever he had. He just wanted to be about the business of blessing the people of God where they were and he didn't really care about the fact that he didn't have my much by way of entertaining them or providing lavishly for them so he was just rich in spirit his soul was prospering and brethren i'm going to tell you right up front as we consider gaius's example i think that's actually the key thing brethren the thing that we need above all is that you and i would have a holy sustained uh, it's like johnny erickson we heard about right I mean, that, that's a woman who's been in a wheelchair for 55 years. A woman who still ha, you know, has had multiple health conditions. She has chronic pain. And yet, if you know anything about the life of Johnny, where she is now, as well as the things she's done over the past 55 years, uh, that is a woman whom the Lord has just, she has had such a generous giving spirit about her. So many have heard about her, like people had heard about Gaius, his reputation had spread. And it wasn't because, like I said, Gaius, well, Gaius is, is just this, this uh, paragon of, of, of super uh, Christendom. He just loved people. And he just was glad to open his home and share his joy in the Lord and his prospering soul with anybody and everybody who was willing to come uh, be blessed and have their soul prosper with him. And who didn't mind eating beanie weenies? You know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's okay. You just come on in. I'd love to have you in Jesus' name. He was beloved, as, as John says, by all who love and live in truth. He had a good reputation. Um, uh, he, he, John mentions here, that he was noted for uh, his hospitality to both brethren and strangers. And again, that he, he mentions here that by all who love the truth, uh, know the truth, love him. So he was beloved. You notice that word shows up three times in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5. He's referred to as beloved by John, beloved by the saints. He was a source of rejoicing and joy and blessing to all of them. Verse 3, 4, 5, uh, that how he rejoiced and, 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 and brought joy to the people around him. But yet, he was a one who not only was full of the love of God, but as we see, he was also a man who was grounded in light. Think back to 1 John, that dichotomy, those things that are inseparable in John. If you know the true God in truth, you know that he is light, meaning he is truth, and that is truth in terms of what is, what is true in terms of facts as well as truth and practice and righteousness. But he is also love, deep and abounding affection. And John makes the point here about Gaius that Gaius was one who loved truth and he was loved by those who knew the truth. He speaks here, he was loved in truth. Verse 3, he testified of the truth that was in him. And in verse 3 and 4, he mentions twice that he walked in truth. So Gaius wasn't one of these guys that was just hey, let me just be nice to anybody and everybody just because nice is a nice thing. He was just motivated by a deep, happy, holy contentment and joy and overflow in Jesus. 
don't know about you, but man, I want to be like that. That's just the example I want. I want people to know me, not fundamentally, first and foremost, is like, my goodness, uh, you know, whether Steve knows his Bible well, or boy, Steve really has got a grip on doctrine. You know, maybe Steve's got this or that practice, which really, you know, in his family, or y'all set, a, set you apart in your, your righteousness. Well, I want to be pursuing righteousness, and I want to walk holy before the Lord. But brethren, what I want, and I want for you, is a heart like Gaius. That's just besotted with the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God. And that just doesn't really care much whether you have much or little. Doesn't care much what people think of you. You want to know one of the greatest and most sure marks of being in the grace of God and knowing God rightly. The closer you are to the Lord, the less you think about yourself. It's not self-abasement. It's not self-denigration. Brethren, people who know the living God and are becoming more like Jesus, they're just selfless. They just don't care so much what people think anymore because they just care what God thinks and they just care more and more about just pouring into other people. That's godliness. That's holiness. That's the heart of Christ. So that's the way Gaius was. And, and, and he, he was just given to liberality in his hospitality. And God blessed him and provided him with the means by which to do so. So there's the, his example. Consider also the, the imperative I'm going to put here a biblical hospitality. Um, look at verse 6, 6b through 8, as I've got it delineated here. Um, hospitality, I just want to say up front, and this is, I think, an application, because verse 6 through 8 is where John presses the commands upon Gaius. He says, Gaius, this, Gaius, this is what you need to do in light of this. Um, he, first of all, he tells him, you would do well to send these missionaries forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You would do well to do that. In verse 8, we ought to receive such so that we might become fellow workers for the truth. So let's, let's focus on those two things. Sending them off well, blessing them in the name of the Lord, and then by doing so, receiving such that we are becoming fellow workers for the truth. Hospitality, brethren, is essential. It's essential and vital to the Christian character and life of God's people and the growth of the church. I would remind you, obviously, think back to Acts chapter 2. We all know Peter's sermon there at Pentecost, the Spirit's poured out. First of all, I remind you that before the Spirit was poured out, you remember what, the, what the, this fledgling group of 120 saints, you remember what they were doing? It says there at the end of Acts 1, they were all of one accord in one room, of one accord with holy hands lifting, praying to the Lord. When they were unified in spirit, in mind, praying together in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Lord answered and he sent forth the Spirit as he had promised. And then, after Peter's call there in Acts 2, that the promise is to you and to your children, there's good news, but you need to repent, confess Jesus. You remember what it says, that the Lord added to their number such as should be saved, but the first thing we see there, uh, verse 40 of Acts 2, with many, many other words, Peter testified, the apostles testified, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day 3,000 souls were added, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and, and breaking bread and in prayer. They continued together 
in unity steadfastly around the apostles' doctrine in fellowship, not so much entertainment, but fellowship with each other in the breaking of bread, both in communion together in their services and eating their meals together and in prayer much together. And we see later in Acts 2 again, verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Brethren, there's, may, may I just say, there's your first, first clear New Testament formula for church growth right there. Unity amongst the people of God, joy, being in each other's fellowship, and it goes and it accompanies the proclamation of the gospel with one accord. And when we're doing that from house to house, we're showing hospitality to the brethren as well as strangers in our midst when there's just hospitality opening the homes. What happens? There's just this infectious joy and spirit. People out on the fringe there in Jerusalem looking at this and saying, you know, I've heard Peter preaching about this Jesus and we've heard all this testimony about Jesus who died and rose again, but we're also seeing something else. We don't see Jesus bodily, but boy, we sure see something is going on here. Uh, these people, this Peter, this fisherman, and John, uh, we, we know them. Something radical has happened to them and to all these people that have gathered around. There's just this holy joy and zeal, and they're in each other's homes and delighting in one another's company. And they're being hospitable and receiving one another. And the gospel is being believed. I think, I think that's there. And furthermore, think about um, a few other verses. We read in Romans chapter 12. I would invite you to turn there. We look at Romans 12 and, and that passage that was read earlier in our New Testament reading. But, you know, when Paul gives this list here, verse 9 to 21, this is what the, uh, the normal Christian church life should be. Right? This is... Uh, this is maybe not nine marks. He gives a few more here, but this is what a healthy, growing, blessed church will look like. And I, I remind you what he says here. Love should be without hypocrisy. Yes, light and love. You should abhor what is evil. Cling tenaciously to what is good and those who are good, the brethren. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, giving preference to one another, gladly esteeming others better than yourself, not, not lagging in diligence, verse 11, but rather being fervent in spirit because you're serving the Lord when you serve the saints. Rejoicing in hope, that's Gaius, right? Prospering in his spirit. And if you're prospering in spirit and your soul, you're going to be patient in tribulation. Because if you're selfless, you're going to be okay when self gets a little beat up for Jesus' name or loses because it's okay. We've got a greater treasure in heaven. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, just as we read in Acts, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Brethren, we, before we look past there, I want to remind you, Paul says that this is the way the church should function. This is a convicting word for me too, but for all of us. Given to hospitality. And actually the Greek there behind the word given is actually pursuing. So this isn't a passive thing. It's like, well, you know, if somebody ever happens to show up, well, we'll have something to give them. He's saying, I'm actually being very liberal. I'm inviting people. Hey, come. We'd love to have you. It would be my delight. Pursuing hospitality and liberality. That's what he says there and so on. This is the way Paul says that the church should be functioning. 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter writes similarly. He says, And above all things, have fervent love one another. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So do it with gladness. 1 Timothy 3, you know, when Paul makes his list of qualifications, elders and deacons, one of the things he lists there is that they are given to hospitality. That they, they, they enjoy, they delight in blessing people in the name of the Lord. Not, without, not grudgingly, but gladly. It's part of their ministry. 1 Timothy 5.10, when Paul talks there about widows who were going to come under the care of the church in their old age, if they didn't have people in their church, to, if they didn't have uh, sons and daughters to take care of them, he lists there among the things in 1 Peter 5.10, he says of, of these widows that they are well reported for good works, having brought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently following every good work. That's the kind of homes, that's the lives they had led, they and their husbands had lived. They were given to hospitality. Hebrews 13, that's the verse on the front cover of your order of worship. Let brotherly love continue. Do not, literally, the Greek says, do not forget the hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly, and again, that word in our English says entertained. It says literally, some have unwittingly hosted, have lodged angels. Now, brethren, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and try to unpack all that. Abraham certainly was hosting an angel. We read in Genesis 18. He understood, and he was glad to show the, the Lord and, and the ones with him uh, the, the joy of the Lord and to share his good things. But the author of the Hebrews tells us to brotherly love continuing. The, one of the sure fruits of that will be that hospitality towards brethren, towards strangers, will be something which just flows out of that. And it's not only blessing for them, but those who practice it are going to get blessed themselves, sometimes in ways beyond what you can even imagine. Anybody here ever hosted an angel? You may not know it. This is really, this is significant. Hospitality, as I said, is vital to the testimony in advance of the gospel and kingdom. It's to be provided for brethren, like these missionaries here that are being sent out, uh, like Demetrius. Uh, journeying on their Christian brethren for the cause of the gospel, but it's also to be provided for strangers and aliens who have providentially come into our sphere of influence. Um, I want to remind you, you can turn there if you want, but think back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 starts off, that's the, the uh, chapter in Leviticus, it talks about the holiness code, and it starts off with there that you, the people, will be holy as I am holy, and, and as he goes through there, verse uh, 18, I believe it is, Leviticus 19, 18, where the Lord says to people that you are to love your brethren as yourself because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right? And then in verse 34 of Leviticus 19, he actually specifically tells them that you are to be of a generous spirit towards strangers in your midst because you are to remember that you yourselves were once strangers in Egypt. And the Lord brought you out from the iron furnace, and he fed you bread in the wilderness. I am the Lord your God, he says. Any Israelite hearing that would have thought back also to Exodus 20. First command, right? First great command. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Brethren, the point is this, is that the holiness of God, the character of God in his holiness and his, his otherness 
manifests itself not in shunning strangers, but rather in open and generous giving and hospitality to them. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust, right? Brethren, as we consider this pattern of our Lord, I mean, think about Jesus. Here's Jesus. He didn't seem to have an issue whatsoever with eating with, going into the homes of, or hosting not only scribes and Pharisees, but sinners, tax collectors. In fact, they, 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 that was an, an accusation thrust against him. Ooh, look, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting, Jesus didn't seem to think one bit about eating with tax collectors, sinners, with un, people who didn't know the living God, but Jesus didn't sin with sinners. But the sin wasn't in being with them. Jesus honestly models selflessness. He really didn't care so much about his being. Think back to Philippians 2, who himself humbled himself, being of no reputation. When they hurled those insults against him, ooh, look, he eats with tax collectors and sinners, they just bounced right off because Jesus, there was nothing for him to stick to. He didn't care. He was about his father's business, and he was eager to seek and to save the lost. So, yes, his home was open not only to saints, Gaius's, but he even strangers, Jews and Gentiles. He just, come on in, let me share my joy with you, and I'll share my hot dogs in the process. Right? Or maybe I'll share a bed in our, best, our guest bedroom. That's just the spirit he had. He was eager about it. This word hospitality that we see in 1 Peter 4, and which is really the heart of this epistle, uh, this hospitality uh, in, in Hebrews, the word is philoxenia, and literally it means love of strangers. It's not entertainment. I want to be clear about that. Biblically, hospitality and entertainment are two very different things. You know, we, we tend today, we think of hospitality, and our first instinct is to say, oh my goodness, um, my home must be spotless and pristine. Um, I must spend hours preparing an elaborate meal. I must, you know, I got my checklist. Um, Gaius didn't seem to be the sort that, that wasn't his, his routine. He just had a very open door. People knew he had an open door to, as Rosaria Butterfield says, for, for Gaius, the gospel came with a house key, right? It really did. And, and, and uh, it was just, hey, yeah, come on in. You're a, brother, you're a brother in Christ? Amen. Let me bless you. I got a, a bed here you can lay overnight like, like the widow did for Elijah, right? Um, here, I've, I've, got some, uh, I've got some canned soup. Here, let me, cook, let me throw some on the, on the, on the uh, stove for you and make sure you're fed with some bread. That was all it was. And uh, nobody seemed to care. There was, this wasn't entertainment. This was just blessing with what you had. Brethren, I want to exhort you because I know when we think about hospitality, it can seem like this overwhelming thing. I've got to, my goodness, and, 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 you know, all these things. And I just want us to say that, you know, in reality, biblical hospitality, it, it requires us, one, to just be selfless, to have a soul that's prospering, and, and just simply to have an open hand to say, whatever it is I happen to have in my pantry, whatever I've got, I'm happy to share it with you. Um, and the reality is, is people, if they love the Lord at all, or if they're at all interested in the Lord, and wanting to check you out, they're just not going to care because your home is going to feel like their home. I want my home to feel like people's homes. I almost would be afraid if they came into my home and found it too perfect because it wouldn't feel like their home did. <laughs> I'm sure theirs isn't, right? 
So it's just that sort of thing. That, that's hospitality. It's spending and being spent for the good of others and to advance God's kingdom, to show the goodness and the grace of the Lord to anybody and everybody who will come under my roof, strangers and brethren alike. That, that's what hospitality is. And, and so when, when this exhortation comes, send them forth in a manner worthy of God, he's not telling Gaius, Gaius, you know, well, if it was God in my house, then yeah, absolutely, I'd roll out the red carpet. I would have a steak and mushrooms. That's not what he's saying. He's saying send him forth in a, man, in a manner worthy that would please the Lord, in a manner that would be pleasing to God. Brethren, what pleases the Lord is that we are generous of heart. We are just generous with the things that he has given us, that we have an open heart and an open hand. That's worthy of God. And that's why he says, too, that he becomes fellow workers for the truth. Isn't that a marvelous thing? That as he is given to hospitality, not only is the potential of entertaining, entertaining angels, like Hebrews says, but it says that he, you will become a fellow worker for the truth. Remember our Lord Jesus' words in, um, what is it, Matthew 10, you know, when he says, he that receives you receives me. He who uh, receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives even one of these little ones uh, only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Again, we're not going to talk in depth about rewards, but brethren, whatever you do to aid the cause of the gospel, whether great or small, sending forth missionaries, opening your home just as a, as a haven to uh, show the life and the love of Christ, brethren, everything you do, whether it's water or hot dogs or whatever it is, you will not lose your reward. You are laying up things in heaven, treasures in heaven that will neither moth nor rust will not destroy, thieves won't break in and steal. You are participating in the advance of God's kingdom, and God sees every bit of it. So that, I, I don't know about you, but I take that as a great encouragement. I'm participating in the advance of the kingdom of God, even in my own way. And I know you might be thinking, something I read this week I thought I'd share with you, because some of us in this room are introverts. Got any introverts here? You say, Steve, that, that, that's 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 that's... Well, that sounds great in, in theory, but how will we do this? I, I read something from Rosaria Butterfield this week, who, if you know anything about Rosaria, uh, years ago we read her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. But very specifically, Rosaria would tell you that she actually is a high-level introvert. She really, getting people, do, people, she doesn't get recharged with people, right? She likes her quiet. She wrote this. She said, we introverts like myself. We tend to miss out on great blessings when we excuse ourselves from practicing hospitality because it exhausts us, even though it certainly does. I personally often find, I often find people exhausting, for sure. But over the years, I have learned how to pace myself. I don't need to run fast, just pace myself. And, and also how to prepare, even though the preparations don't have to be extensive at all. I, but just to be ready for the private time necessary to recharge and how to grow with, dis, with discomfort in the comfort of Christ. Knowing your personality and knowing your sensitivities doesn't need to be an, an excuse for us to not do ministry. It just means that we need to prepare for it differently and maybe have some extra recuperation time on the backside. But the rewards of it 
are extensive and blessed. Brethren, I take encouragement from Rosaria. The Lord is going to bless this. Well, con contrast all this then um, with, with diatrophies, just real quick. Because as we saw in verse 9 and 10, we've seen Gaius as an example of holy, happy hospitality. But then we've got Diotrephes who is trying to shut all this down. He's motivated by another spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Notice first of all about Diotrephes in verse 9. Diotrephes loves himself. This is not a guy who is selfless. This is a fellow who is self-full. And it says in verse 9 that Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence among them. Right? He, he loves, think back to Matthew 23, Jesus told the disciples there, let no man you know, call you father, you know, because you have one father, God. And, and don't have, have people say, rabbi, rabbi, you know, teacher. Don't worry about the titles, Jesus says. Right? That's not the thing. The titles are, are irrelevant. Just minister to the people of God and be genuine. Diatrophies, on the other hand, he was one who loved to have the preeminence. He liked to be the elder-in-chief and make sure, I'm sure everybody in his congregation knew about that. He was an abusing of his power. He was a false shepherd feeding himself and abusing and using the flock. Well, look at the fruits that John gives here. How do we know this? Well, first thing he says, this fruits of his pride, the fruits of his idolatry, were one that he slanders the saints. He, John says, prates against us with malicious words. He was quite willing and ready to slander falsely accused brethren from the church that John was with the, the, and the saints and the missionaries to say, you know what, you're not genuine, you're not right, you're not pure, you're not like us, and we shouldn't have to receive your kind. Very much this party spirit, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Diotrephes. That's what he wanted, right? He wanted, it was very much an us versus them, and like they were trying to build their brand. Diotrephes is trying to build up his little church, and he's competing against the other churches of Jesus Christ rather than collaborating with them. I'm sure we've all experienced some of that in our past. Brethren, where we begin as a church to see ourselves as better than, uh, more blessed than, superior than, uh, other lesser, weaker, inferior churches. And so maybe we're not quite as bold in it as diatrophies, but where we begin to say, I'm not going to receive them in the Lord. They're weaker. They're inferior. Uh, we're not going to recognize them as legit. Maybe, maybe we don't do it verbally. Maybe we say, do things, we put things out on Facebook or social media that kind of undercut and downplay. Any such thing as that is the diatrophies spirit prating with malicious words against brethren that we don't particularly, maybe that we just don't like for whatever reason. Re he rejected the righteous. He says that he does not receive us and he doesn't receive the brethren. Again, no hospitality there. Um, unless you're a uh, reformed theonomic, you know, <laughs> covenantal Presbyterian family integrated, I'm not going to have you in my house. Rejecting the righteous, and then not only that, but excommunicating even and expelling those among the church. He says he forbids those who wish to receive them. So it's not bad enough, but he's actually telling people in his church, you don't receive saints from that church over there. You don't receive uh, 
you know, people who aren't part of our group, who aren't clean. Brethren, I just, the obvious application here is simple. I don't need to spell this out in depth. Brethren, that sort of party spirit between churches, fostered by elders who are more concerned about their name, their fame, their power, than they are about the name and fame and glory of Jesus Christ in the advance of Jesus' church. Elders who abuse and use the flock rather than pour into them. Brethren, that's the diatrophies spirit. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that that spirit will never, ever, ever, ever infect this congregation. May he preserve us from it. May we be holy and happy Gaiuses with gladness and joy of heart, loving the flock of Jesus, loving one another. Um, yeah. Imitating John and all who love God in truth, rejecting the witness of diatrophies. Look at verse 12, because here's the real application. And when we think about, um, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead there. But let's go on to the last point. It's just because John wraps this whole epistle up then at the end, and he simply says, I'm going to give you an example. Here, here's, how we, here's, here's what you do with all this. And number three, it's simply this, just judgment. Gaius, imitate what is good and receive who is good and reject, don't imitate what is evil and or reject those who are evil. I like it when the application is that clear. <laughs> there it is, verse 11. Accept, receive those Imitate what is evil. Don't imitate what is evil, but rather what is good. And understand this, that he who does good, he who practices righteousness, he who walks in light and love and loves the saints, such a one as that is, in fact, of God. It doesn't matter what Diotrephes says. Diotrephes says, unless you're this, 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 and you've got all these checkboxes, right? You're not really of God. John says... Go back to what I said in 1 John. Do they believe the truths about the Trinity, about who Jesus is? Do they believe the truth and are they leaning into Jesus wholly for their salvation in truth? Are they walking in truth of doctrine and are they pursuing righteousness in their practice? And do they love those whom Jesus loves in truth? John says here, make no mistake about it, those who do those things and walk that way, they're of God. It doesn't matter what elder diatrophy says. There's a higher standard to which you would appeal. And contrary, on the other side, he who does not do good, he who is an enemy of truth, it doesn't matter what he says about otherwise. He has not seen God, verse 11. Brethren, I'm sure Diotrephes was waxing eloquent about how much uh, he knew, probably was a, a theologian par excellence, right? I'm sure that he was well-respected for, for his theological acumen and, and his knowledge of Scripture, but brethren, he did not do what was good. He disdained the church of Jesus Christ. He was proud and arrogant in his self-conceits, loving the preeminence. And John's just saying, folks, look at his life. Gaius, look at his life. I'm reminded of Jesus' words again in Matthew 23 when he speaks of the, the scribes and Pharisees. He says, they sit in Moses' seat, so on the one hand do what they tell you, but do not do as they do. Remember that? Do not do as they do, for they bind heavy burdens on people that they themselves won't pick up. 
They scour the countryside to make converts, uh, to, to find one needle in a haystack, and when they find him, they make him twice as much a hell as themselves, sons of hell as themselves. Brethren, that's what John's saying. Gaius, look at his fruits and imitate truth and righteousness. Receive the threefold witness. Look at verse 12. Remember, Gaius, Demetrius has a good testimony from everybody. That should weigh with you. He's got a good testimony from truth itself. And we ourselves, the elders in Ephesus, uh, we, we bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true, Gaius. So in light of all of this evidence, Gaius, don't be coward. Don't be in fear of diatrophies. But rather, you do what Jesus tells you to do, and you practice righteousness, and you trust in the Lord. That's the command. So, brethren, having taken all this together, he concludes this little epistle. I just want to point you down to verse 14. John said he desired to come. He wanted to see them again, not, uh, and not just continue writing with pen and ink. He wanted to see Gaius, because he loved Gaius and was beloved to Gaius. But look at the, how he concludes here. He says, Peace to you, our friends greet you, and greet the friends by name. What a fitting way to end this. Peace to you, Gaius, because you are a man of peace. You know the prince of peace. You are, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Sons of God. Your actions show that by your hospitable heart and home, you're a peacemaker. And because of that, you know God. God loves you. And so the saints love you, and we're going to bless you, Gaius. Our friends greet you. All of us here in Ephesus who know and love the truth, we greet you in Jesus' name. And greet the friends, Gaius, when they come to your home. When you see them, greet them by name. I'll let that be the concluding exhortation. Brethren, it's a good thing for us to not just know um, the saints of Jesus, especially those in our sphere, just as, hey, yeah, that person over there. Names matter to God. Names should matter to us. It's imperative that we know each other's names. We address each other as beloved brethren by our name. When you use somebody's name instead of, hey, you or sister, I just don't remember, you're showing that you love them, you're showing that you care deeply for them, and you're showing them that Jesus does too. It matters. So in obedient faith, brethren, and sincere love, the call for us is to embrace biblical, joy-producing, gospel-displaying hospitality, to practice that hospitality to brethren, to neighbors, to strangers. Like Gaius, our lack of sufficient charisma, our lack of abundance of goods or wealth, or our lack of ability to produce a five-star meal or a, gourmet or, or, or a spotless hotel room, those things aren't going to hinder the Holy Spirit of God one whit. Those aren't going to put off those that Jesus intends to bless through us in his name. Brethren, what the Lord wants for us is open hands, open hearts, open homes, and just open and be ready for him to bless us. Because, brethren, when we do that, we're going to see not only will we receive blessing and bless others, but I really believe, as we saw there in Acts, you're going to see the Lord beginning to do things in our midst and seeing him begin to build up. And who knows, he may even do as for us, as he said there, that he would add to our church daily. Not only those being saved, but those who he would have for us to worship with. So brethren, let's take these words to heart. Let's pray on them, let's consider them. And I'd be eager to hear 
how the Lord leads us forth each in obedience of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Gaius. Father, what a, what a marvelous testimony this saint was. A man not of great means, but a man of a huge and open, generous, giving heart who was just glad and his soul prospered and so he was just glad to share that soul prosperity with whatever he had to whomever he could. He was a man who was selfless because he was so uh, enamored with Jesus. Father, I pray for us, I pray for myself especially, Father, but for all of us. Lord, may we have such a heart, Father, for strangers, for brethren, for whomever you would send our way, that we would embrace the idea of an open home, Father, that we would embrace generosity and just giving freely as you have given us. Freely, freely we've received, that we would freely, freely give. Father, help us as we meditate on this tonight, as we consider your word. I pray that you will press its application home to us. Show us specific things you want us to do. Lord, in the obedience of faith, looking for your blessing. And Father, we give ourselves then wholly to you. We thank you that we were strangers once, but you've welcomed us into your house. You have thrown open the floodgates of heaven, and Jesus told us that he has gone to prepare a place for us. Father, may we have such a heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.